No, no, that's what caused Lehman Brothers and the entire fucking financial system to blow up. Yeah, these things happen. Yeah. They're not inherent crypto. But my biggest point, and I'll say time and time again, is whenever people are critical of something like Avi and Maker and DeFi, I'm like, at least you know where that money is going. Mm. And you have full transparency into that process. Whether you want to look, that's your problem. And that's on mm. you. It's always on you. You always bear the responsibility. It's, at the end of the day, your money. But that's, it's your money when you deposit in these protocols. It's not your money. It's not your money when you deposit in a bank. There's a very big difference. All right, everyone. So on Empire, you obviously know that we talk a lot about the institutions coming into crypto. And that is why we are super excited to share that we are hosting the Digital Asset Summit. We've hosted this since 2019. It's coming up in London, March 18th to 20th. Don't miss your chance to get ahead of the curve. You can get 20% off with code EMPIRE20. We'll see you in London. This episode is brought to you by Northstake, the secure and compliant staking platform for institutional investors. Northstake's ETH staking service lets institutions earn staking rewards while maintaining maximum flexibility on all of their capital. You can learn more about Northstake's institutional staking services by clicking the link in the show notes or that QR code that is on your screen right now if you're on YouTube. Now, let's get into the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to uh, another episode of Empire. We got the roundup. Santi is coming from... Uh, right, can you can you say where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I tweeted a bit about how great coffee was in New Zealand. It is a beautiful country. <laughs> I've been in, I've been down under for for a while now. Um, I love it. Coffee, yeah, is my good trip. So far, it's been great. Yeah, I mean, it, nice. it's, it, yeah, I met with with a lot of the founders that are there, like Kane. Uh, you know, Kieran's there. Robbie at Immutable. We recorded an episode. Met with uh, a couple of funds there. It's just like a very vibrant ecosystem. I didn't go to Melbourne, which also has like other folks there, but really, really nice. It's actually uh, an amazing country which most people don't appreciate like australia is really big because you know fun fact you know that australia is almost the size of the united states i don't i don't believe that for a second you don't believe i don't that. believe that way, i don't believe this that. way i don't believe it if you look at antarctica it, it basically the, the way cartography and the, the map the way maps are drawn to fit in this kind of it, when you look at a globe when you flatten it out what is closer to the equator is is true in size as you go farther yeah out, it gets stretched out no like the, the size is disproportionately smaller so when you look oh, at oh as you get away from it then it gets smaller yeah, right. of course. yeah as you get away from it the item the the, the, the basically it, it looks smaller than what it actually is so australia being quite south um um you know looks smaller than the united states but actually, it's very, very similar in size. Now, you, you're Googling this right now. Just verify this. But I'm pretty I'm sure. Back checking you. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it, it's not, it's smaller, but it is not that, like, it's not like a small as people think. Same size like as you. Okay, I'll, I'll put it differently. <laughs> oh, Are shit. You yeah, you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, like, I, I when I say stuff, I, I like. 80, it's 83% as big. All right. All right. All right. It's a Pareto. 80, flying from Perth, which is on the West Coast, to Sydney, right. six hours. How long does it take to fly from Chemtis to New York? Yeah, six hours. Depends Depends on which way you go, right? Because of Gulf Stream. Yeah. But yes, five, half to six and, and 50, six hours, 15. But, all right. So do you want to start with the good news or the bad news? We want to start with Ledger or FASB. In my mind, those were the two biggest things that happened this week. We can also, also talk about Solana fee markets. We can also talk about uh, points. We can talk about Eclipse Testnet. 
Manta L2, uh, Solana NFTs. People hated that we talked about that too much the other day. So uh, we could continue talking about it. Did really? Yeah, I got a lot of messages saying you guys are just trying to shill Solana NFTs. And I was like, my friend, uh, <laughs> these things are up like 10x. There's a, that's why we're talking about them. I mean, we're going to talk about stuff that we A, find interesting because... I'm sorry, folks. I'm sitting on a chair here and I could be doing other stuff. And I'm I got so many salty messages something. that we were talking about bunk. And I was like, I mean, you can hate it or like, go look. You should go. Yeah. Go look at Chow's posts. I think Chow's been nailing. Uh, he, he, maybe we can talk about that at some point because I think he's, Chow is one of those guys that is not afraid to look stupid and actually speaks the truth. And I think, you know, it's also speaks to this idea of it's very liberating. It has been for me. Like at some point you just say, I'm just here to talk about stuff because you're in the pursuit of truth. And Chow is one of those guys that he's come on the pod so many times. He built up here from because he speaks the truth. Like he generally doesn't care what other people think. He's just going to, I'm just going to, the best, and I'll stop here. The best, one of the best uh, things I've heard him say is, you know, you build community, make everyone rich. And that was true for Ethereum. We try to over-intellectualize how community was built and Ethereum alignment. Well, guess what, folks? There's a lot of Solana alignment yeah. now because the devs have made uh, very... Uh, it's the same reason why, why VC chains, like a VC chain, all that really means is that you launched it too high of an FTV so nobody could make money. So then they didn't get, uh, you know, they didn't have bag bias, basically. That's what a VC chain really means. It's not that... Everyone raised capital at some point. Like everyone, everyone's technically a VC chain. A VC chain is you just made the mistake of launching it way too high of an FTV. So nobody got rich. Let's talk about FASB. Um, okay, so FAS, uh, big, big. actually, this was um, big news, but didn't get covered like it was big news. Obviously, Blockworks covered it pretty closely, but I don't think the industry was talking about it too much. So uh, yesterday on, or on Wednesday, FASB officially adopted fair value accounting for Bitcoin for fiscal years beginning after December 15th, 2024. Um, and let me just give kind of a primer on why this is so important. So actually, if you looked at some of the folks in the industry, so Hong, the president of OKX said, this is big news, even comparable to having one more pro Bitcoin president in a sovereign country. This removes a system hurdle for companies to hold Bitcoin long-term in treasury reserves. Bill Barheit, CEO of Abra said, this is way bigger news than the Bitcoin ETF. This is huge. David Marcus, um, I think he was head of payments at Facebook, said you may think this is a small accounting change that doesn't mean much. It's actually a really big deal. This removes a large obstacle standing in the way of corporations holding Bitcoin on their balance sheet. 2024 will be a landmark year for Bitcoin. So um, the reason that this is just like a two sentence primer here, why this is such a big deal is right now, the way that Bitcoin is treated on balance sheets is it's technically, I think, an treated as an intangible or something like an intangible. So the way that that works is uh, when the price of Bitcoin goes down, you can mark the asset. You can mark to market on the way down, but you can't mark it on the way up. Um, and maybe you can give like another example of this or kind of what, what this really means. But like if you buy, if Blockworks were to hold Bitcoin on our balance sheet uh, and we got it at 40,000, it fell to 30,000. We have, we market at 30,000. It, uh, it comes back up to 40,000 or 50,000, we can't mark it back up at 40 or 50,000. So it's been a pretty insane uh, kind of archaic rule. Um, but they are the big update is that they are changing that so that crypto is going to be measured at fair value on corporate balance sheets. Yeah, as you said, 
it is a long-term intangible asset. So it is like treated like a, think of it like a patent. And it's crazy to actually think about that. One, it's actually liquid, very liquid. So it should be not long-term, it should probably be a current asset, like a kind of like a marketable, like a short-term, like a, so, so, and the other one is like, uh, I think if you think about, um, you know, like MicroStrategy, for instance, has a ton of Bitcoin in their balance sheet, right? Like as price does come down, because a lot of their, you know, they've been buying at different levels, then that when you look at their balance sheet, it's it's uh it's not an accurate representation of the of the current value of those holdings. Now, of course, people can do the math, right? You can go in there and say, oh, okay, they're either holding 100 Bitcoin that translates into X, um, and then their loan dots, right? Their covenants, um, they also obviously are marking them at you know what is a the fair value of that, which is what they could sell it for. So they're not like tripping covenants, but nonetheless, I mean, I think it's still important when analysts look at a, at a company, right? And, you, and you're just looking at the financial health of a company. And if this thing is not being accurately reflected in the balance sheet, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's difficult, right? I think it, it may be another yet another reason why if you're on the fence about holding Bitcoin on your balance sheet, this this treatment has, hasn't helped. Um and the fact that it's going now to a, a, a more accurate, you know, treatment, not a patent, but something that is liquid and marketable and, you know, and you can actually market to market, then I think it's, uh, you yeah. know, yeah. I, I guess the real question is how many people. Like I, mean, I mean, this happened to MicroStrategy, right? So, yeah. so Sailor bought billions of dollars of Bitcoin, price increased. He had to hold the Bitcoin on MicroStrategy's balance sheet at the purchase price. Then Bitcoin fell in value. MicroStrategy had to recognize the what is what's that called? It's oh an uh, an impairment, list impairment. Uh, impairment listed as a loss. Then Bitcoin recovered in price. MicroStrategy couldn't recognize the recovery. They had to yeah they had to keep the value on its books at the impaired level, uh, even though Bitcoin had recovered. You're looking at uh, all the metrics, right? And think about like how how like uh, automated the the stock market is. Like if you just look at like these current ratios and solvency ratios, the asset tests, like all these like financial metrics. If you were to compare it, like, on a, it just is out of whack. It's not an accurate representation, right? So, um, yeah, I think it's important. The real question in my mind is the impact. I don't know if it's as impactful actually as an ETF or a sovereign like announcing. Um, the, the interesting thing about ETF is that it wouldn't actually matter, right? Because the ETF would be, if you're holding an ETF on your books, it's going to be mark to market. Um, but I think the real question is like, how many companies have actually been on the fence or have disposed of their Bitcoin holdings like Tesla because of this unfair accounting treatment? I would argue very little, but it's, it's more of a sentiment. I think like you read, you're, you're reading the lines, like the ETF is coming, a more accurate accountant treatment. I think everyone's just sort of realizing this industry is real. Uh, not only that, but it could also bring in meaningful, you know, economic stimulus, jobs, capital formation, and, and fees for all the different kind of constituents that matter. Um, and so I think it's, I think that's the more, in my mind, that's the more relevant thing. It's like, it just brings more legitimacy and in a fair treatment yeah. to this asset. That's good. Yeah. I, I've always thought it was a, this like Bitcoin on corporate uh, balance sheets was a bit of a, a, a meme and like not something that was actually going to play out that much. I mean, micro strategies obviously performed they're, I mean, it's looking really, really good for them. And, like a 40, 50% premium. 
Yeah, so it's looking great for them. But, like, I don't know. You don't have corporates going out and buying, like, stocks and putting well, it on their balance sheet. Let me put it this way. Like, I, I think, like, as if you think about payments and stable coins, as that, you know, it likely won't matter, right? Because the, the question, I think if you're holding a stable coin in your balance sheet, I'm not actually sure if the treatment would be like a long-term um, intangible. Um, I guess it's sort of TBD because we don't really, but presumably with a stable coin bill, like it would be treated like cash, cash equivalent. But, you know, if, if you're accepting payments in other currencies uh, or whatever, um, and you're getting SOL and ETH in your balance sheet, then I think this more favorable treatment. Now, I, I make mm -hmm. an assumption that also, uh, I say if you're accepting payment big, in Seoul yeah, and ETH, payment. yeah. Now, this makes the assumption that I, I'm not I'm not actually sure if this applies to things other than Bitcoin, but let's just assume that it, it does. I think it matters more longer term for commerce, where there may be uh, an, less of an incentive to dispose of what you're getting and swapping for cash if you have this type of treatment, right? Which sort of makes sense. If you're getting payments in ETH and Seoul, if mm. you're selling it, like Blockworks does. Blockworks gets payment in crypto all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's on the margin. It's more of like accounting. And uh, I think for what it's worth, an ETF and a sovereign coming out saying that it's going to buy these things is way more impactful. But, you know, agree to disagree with these folks. Yeah. One step forward, though, in the right direction. It's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Less good news. Uh, we've got Ledger. So maybe I can take a step. Times that we talked this. about Ledger incidents in this pod in the last year. Yeah, but where, like, and how much money do you have on your Ledger? Like, <laughs> still, well, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, let's, let's talk about what happened and then, like, dissect it a bit. Okay, so Ledger launched, I'm going to do my best here. Um, Ledger launched something. Yeah, Ledger launched something called the Ledger Connect Kit, which is basically a JavaScript library that implements a button that allows users to connect their Ledger device to third-party apps, um, like a you know Uniswap or Aave or kind of any 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 DApp. Um, basically, there was an exploit at some point this week. Uh, I've got the timeline pulled up here, so I can get get into the I details. Think it was uh, hours ago. this morning. Yeah, hours ago. it was. It was uh, it was this morning. It was this. So I, we're recording was, this on Thursday. It was this it was, morning. It was 9 a.m. UTC. I pulled that from the CTO of Polygon, which is moody. I think he's pretty on top of this stuff. Uh, 9 a.m. UTC. That was like 9 p.m. my time. It would have been early your morning, I guess. Yeah. So what happened is there was a formal former employee that fell victim to a phishing attack which then allowed a bad actor to upload a malicious file to Ledger's uh, NPM JS, which is this like package manager for JavaScript uh, code that's like shared between apps. Um, and basically any, any app that you connected to that used ConnectKit now had this, uh, I think a drainer basically inserted into it. So you had the potential to basically have your wallet get drained if you if, if you interacted with any of those apps that used uh the ledger's connect kit that's my that's my high levels and by interaction it's not just connecting it's like approach like signing a transaction signing yeah so um 
Yeah, so I think the TLDR is you had this malicious version of the Ledger Connect SDK that was pushed to, uh, yeah, basically pushed in, in, into the like live code. And what's important is, as soon as this happened, my understanding is it sort of gets rolled out to pretty much most apps by default, like automatically. I think it was any app that used Wallet Connect. Wallet Connect. Any app that used this would have approved. Now, yeah. So the affected chains, there were a lot. Basically, most EVM, like like it was obviously ethel one all the different base, Arbitrum, like Polygon. Basically, nothing... It was just like, I think it was containing most of those apps. There were some chatter about Solana, but I think it was largely unaffected because most teams yeah. don't even use them. I think the Soulflare guys, as soon as I woke up and saw this, and I was like, guys, are you affected? And they're like, no, we actually have a very strict policy of how when, when you connect to the app, like we, we there's like a second layer here, so they're not affected. A lot of projects have come out saying, so 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 I guess, I guess the patches, the, the vulnerability has been patched, right uh it's been patched yeah it's fixed you have to you you should though update your um uh i think even though it's fixed on ledger's end there is still a way don't quote me on this that the malicious code is still cached on browsers that have visited if you have visited a compromised front end and hadn't made a transaction it's still cached on your browser so for me like i just i just cleared my my browser caching i was like did i do something on chain i was like "I, i don't really remember cleared my cache um I guess the important thing is if you haven't used your your sign with anything or used anything on chain for the last like day, call it that for conservatism. I think you're fine. Everything everyone seems to say that, but just for caution, and you can never be too cautious in the space. Is just clear a cache your browser, to whichever one you use for, uh, you know, interacting on the chain. Yeah, uh, and then and then wait, like like just don't do anything. Right, I know the, the nature reaction is, oh, I'm gonna go and revoke all, everything and move. Like just for again, yeah. Do not do I was gonna send. I was gonna send USD. I was gonna send USDC today, um, for a for like an angel check. And I was like, you know what? I'm. I was like, I just told him. I was like, I'm gonna send this on on Monday. Like I'm just not interacting on chain for a day or two. Right. Like I, I say, guys, yeah, it's, it's it's you're gonna be listening to this on Friday. Just to, like just yeah. don't do anything and, and, yeah. and take some time. Okay, so I have, a, I have a couple questions here. So the way that I understand the origins of the ledger, the way, like the way I understand the origin of this exploit is that there was this ex-developer, Junichi Suguera, I'm sure I'm botching that name, that still had access, even though he was an ex-employee, still had access to the GitHub repo. He clicked a link in a phishing, uh, phishing email targeted at GitHub users. His GitHub account got compromised, and then bad actors pushed that malicious code into the library via his account. Why? Two, twofold why did this ex-employee still have access to a github re- to the to ledger's github repo and two why don't they have two-party uh like verification for code updates or something like why do they have it so that a single person can deploy code without review by any other party that's crazy to me that's crazy uh no, but actually, like you should have it's, it's, access it's, controls, it's, it's, internal it's, reviews, multi-sig codes when it comes it's, to like. It's stupid, huh? I don't know, dude. I, I literally, it's a third strike or more that we know. For I don't know, Pascal. Pascal's speaking at DAS in March, so well, I mean, I'm sure they'll be past this by then. But it's like I don't know. You got you got a company that's fundamentally built around security, and I'm sure 99 percent of the times this happens. But like, you can't. 
you can't have a one percent moment you know this this is like a class this is like probably there's a couple of things that are very uh on edge when they happen i think the good thing is the entire crypto twitter everyone was on top of it fairly quickly and alerting people my latest check is that the drainer has gotten like 500k of funds maybe 600 i've also seen that it only included it only included like gas tokens could be drained so not erc 20s mm -hmm. only gas so that would be you know eth or soul i mean the units that you pay for for gas now i haven't verified that i just saw one tweet around that um and uh and then there's a revoke i, I tweet retweeted this there's a revoke uh app site where you can go and enter your address if you have any doubts and it could actually tell you the approvals that you have what's it what's it called the revoke cash app i think it's uh i read it they, they have a specific site where you a specific part of the site where it it will check your wallet and the approvals interactions you've done and and tell you if you're safe or not now revoke.cash that's what it is uh, yeah revoke.cash but anyways it's on my twitter profile we'll link it here in the show notes if you have any doubts there's also there's also two others i'd give a shout out to which is wallet guard and pocket universe so there's some there's i, I haven't used either of those i have no affiliation with them but um i saw some people tweeting out saying like wallet guard flag this immediately like that big very wallet card. i guess the the important thing here is like so let, let's uh unpack this a bit like what is the issue here i guess the supply chain attack is 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 real and it's a, a real threat to the industry right um you know this came up also in may of, of earlier this year when when ledger kind of came out with the social recovery feature everyone's like now i'm packing like well no one's actually been able to verify like it's like closed source and you know is there a back door like that's always a risk right and so you're kind of trusting these people when you do these upgrades like there's no malicious code right you go to ledger live you update your ledger you know you're, you're inherently there's always trust for for all these wallets the key um it's a sort of risk um and so yeah when this supply chain attack happens it, it's it's pretty bad now this um, hope you know good thing it was just fairly contained um and then like zero day exploits right chrome and all that stuff that just affects a bunch of people but nonetheless um I think it raises a couple of things that I would love to get your take and just talk about. One is this, this as an industry, when these things happen, you appreciate how like the dependencies, right. And certain areas of vulnerability. And I think this is just um, like, how, how do we overcome that? Um, what can we do to make this? Like, I guess like blind signing is something that it, they, I know has been, talked about is removing it and just creating a better flow the other is just like you know you sort of assume that people are just going to click their ledger and not really you know or, or their hardware wallet and when they're signing a transaction they're not they're probably going to be careless or not really understand the full details of it it has happened to not only you know less sophisticated user it has happened to so, so many sophisticated people the you know, Nexus Mutual founder, for instance, so you get a compromised version of MetaMask. So sign, right? Um, anyways, my flow, and I know you wanted to talk about like having Tay and other people that to have a very dedicated pod on security. But like, my advice is, 
when you see this stuff, don't overreact, understand what's happened, follow a couple people and we can link them in the show notes, you know, folks that I might like, but also um, take time to, to like, so if you're using MetaMask and you're signing, right, you can always like, I always inspect where it's going, right? So when you're actually proving you have that page, it shows up the fees. On the top right, you can actually see the destination address. And so whatever contract you're going to be interacting with. So what do you do? I check that address. I go in an Etherscan or whatever scan to see that address. And just by critically inspecting that address and all the transactions that are happening, it may be tagged as safe, but even then, just click into a couple of transactions, look at the history of the contract, understand what the contract kind of does. You don't have to be extremely technical if you just click into that and say, what is this contract doing? Like, what are the last 20 transactions? Like, click randomly on five and understand what those transactions are doing. I know, but listen to what you're saying. That's so insane that you have to do that. Like, you're sending something on chain. You then have to go look at the address on the Etherscan, look at five transactions. Like, let me. my dad was just in town in New York, and I got him set up on, uh, he's he's been set up on MetaMask, but he's set, set up on Solana, um, he's got a phantom wallet. He's trading on Jupiter. He's got a MetaMask wallet. He's trading on Uniswap. He wanted to buy some like weird long tail things that he read about in a newsletter that he subscribes to. And so I helped him buy them. But then this morning, and he's not on crypto Twitter, right? He doesn't have a Twitter account. This morning I had to text him, do not open MetaMask or Uniswap or any of that today. And I didn't know how to describe it to him. So I just said big industry wide bug. Like he's think of, think of the, hopefully his crypto grows. Like that he will be in the 99% of users who aren't like spending all their days on crypto Twitter. Um, that's just look my second advice, which is probably the best one. You got to assume in this chaotic phase of innovation, ever expanding surface area, there's going to be exploits, continue to be exploits. So approach, my approach is do the four crux model separate. It doesn't cost anything to spin up new wallets, break it down, have a hot wallet for doing NFTs trading, and then set those to a vault that is never interacting with anything. Just, I think it's just proper hygiene where the same way that you have a checking account and a savings account, or you have a, you know, you have different bank accounts. Same here, guys. Just use, use hundreds of wallets. I know it, you want the convenience of aggregating and seeing how much you're worth on a tick by tick basis, but guys, like you can aggregate that. You can you can track that easily. The, the, what you don't want is to have one wallet with all your assets. You do a rock click and then drains it. And so, you know, I I think uh, I was, for instance, active during this period. Um, I was deaging the doing some agent stuff on chain, and it, it actually happened during this time. And so I immediately knew which wallets I had interacted with. I checked, I looked at what had happened after. And, and, and so I was, what I'm trying to say is it was contained to like less than 0.05% of all my assets. So it's like, you know, a worst case scenario where I, you know, where I just, you know, got to get affected by this. It doesn't destabilize me, just sort of like you, you live. And so I think that's, um, that's my best approach, right? If you don't trust Ledger, well, maybe get other wallets or maybe get three of them. Have a multi-sig. Uh, we're using different hardware wallets. It's like there, there's a lot of things you can do. I definitely agree with you. Look, it's not a, 
it yeah i mean it makes you zoom out and just think about things it's like yeah I, you know there's ledger's had a bunch of fuck-ups recently um but i'm like okay like what am i what else am i gonna go use like i'm using ledger still and then it makes you th think think about like wallets too like everyone in the industry uses metamask which is run by the same company that also runs the largest rpc provider and it's like you know there's a anyways moments like these are always when people start digging in and, and understanding there are a lot still a lot a lot of dependencies yeah um you know people talk about nfts and like where the data is actually stored yeah you think how many people care about that no they just want to look at like nice pictures on the phone yeah well are you certain that that metadata is stored in a like immutable like way or is it just stored and look like you know what i mean like it's important to dissect all of this but you go down this rabbit hole from a as you know, security is an area that I've been mostly focused on for for a long time, and and there's many ways to attack security, like improve security. I would say there's a lot of people focused on that, yeah. but it's still still challenging. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else on this topic? Well, as an aside, like I had this idea of like a wallet flow, and then and and then Tay was like pretty vocal around it. She didn't like the proposal, but I'm like, why don't we by the default? Like, if we assume that most users are going to come from in like in some of these mobile wallets, Argent, Phantom, whatever, Soulflare, pick your flavor. Then I think there's a big opportunity to embed certain security features by default for your users. And sure, it may compromise user experience on the margin, but I think that's easier to overcome with like training, right? And, and the user with some guides, um, like setting them up with a couple of wallets, a vault wallet and a hot wallet and different wallets for NFTs and DeFi and just core holdings. And for any approval, like if, you, if you're a wallet, you know, for any approval of a new contract, uh, it simulates a transaction for you, you know, and warns you. And I, there are features like this. It would warn you, hey, are you sure you want to send all your 25 <laughs> Dorians to some brand wallet? Well, probably not. And so I think we're getting better at this, but alerting and simulation of transactions is probably the easiest and, and, and lift for a lot of a lot of users, which are still, they're not going to understand what the contract does. They're not going to understand anything. They're just going to click immediately. But um Anytime you're interacting with a new contract, there's a delay, um, you know, stuff like this. I, I think there's a couple of ways that we can probably improve this for at, at the wallet level. That, that's, I think, where a lot of these changes by default, and it can have a huge, huge improvement in protecting a vast majority of users. All right, everyone. So we talk a lot about the institutions coming into crypto on Empire. Santi and I are both headed out to London March 18th to 20th for BlockWorks's eighth ever digital asset summit das this is an institutional buttoned up conference that we've hosted since 2019 i like to joke that it is probably the last remaining kind of suit and tie event in crypto people are still wearing suit and tie it's pretty funny but you'll actually hear from a lot of the largest institutions in the world coming from standard charter fis jp morgan framework folks coming out Wintermute, van eck goldman sachs there are a couple big themes of this conference one bitcoin catalyst the having and the spot etf two a view from the buy side three rwa's token and stable coins for 
global regulatory frameworks, five, institutional infrastructure, including banking and payments, and six, the macro case for crypto. If you have anything to do with the institutional side of crypto, you have to be there. Santi and I got your back. We hooked you up with a 20% off code. It is Empire20. There is a little competition running internally at BlockWorks to see who can drive the most number of tickets. So help Santi and I out. Register with our code and you get 20% off. That is Empire20. All right. What do you want to talk about next? Do you want to talk about these points? Sure. I mean, <laughs> I, I I don't get the I don't get the hate on on the points that I, I like. I, I don't understand why everyone's so up in arms about points. It's, so rain so Rainbow launched points on. Uh, all right, so Rainbow tweeted out on Tuesday saying, "Welcome to Rainbow Points, the first step towards including our community in the future success of Rainbow. Every Ethereum user has been dropped points today. Claim your points and start earning more." By doing the things you already do on chain. So use Ethereum, earn rewards. Uh, do things, get rewards. Like play on chain, get rewards. What is a... Uh, so, so the pushback don't ask, here... Don't ask what points are going to be awarded. I don't, I don't hate it. Like I don't get why like... Like I don't know. My wife shops at Sephora. And like she gets points for doing that. You know like Ikea gives you points. Microsoft gives you points. Like... I Starbucks gives you points. If, if, if you're already using it, like, you don't mind it. And if, you know, like, yeah, I don't get it. People are just in this state of, why do we need another L2? And I hate the strategy. And look, uh, I don't know. I'm all for experimentation. And I don't think, you know, time and time again, people get frustrated. Like, why do we need another L1? It's a copycat and yada, yada, yada. It's like, instead of like bitching about it, like it's going to happen. Anyway. Yeah. Let the innovations play out. Like let people do points. Yeah, like, I don't just, know. Like, like I have no yeah, issue with these points. Points or call it whatever, like fine by me. Like ultimately, like, I don't see a problem with that. So did, were you on the two Shar podcast that we did when he was talking about every cycle has its own novel token distribution? So you had ICOs in 2017. Uh, I think it was IDEOs IDEOs. in 2019. Binance really kicked off. Remember the Binance IDEOs in 2019? And then you had a, you know, you had DeFi summer and like airdrops and things like that. You had NFTs. Like there's always these new novel token distribution things. Now the new novel token distribution is points. And I think points are basically becoming the like this system's mechanism of token distribution. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I had a, I have a startup idea for you, which is where that I want to get your this take on. that I'm a builder or an investor or both. Um, from probably from the I know I know you're a bad builder, so we'll approach it from well, the investor's say, perspective. I love this as a builder. Okay, so I was talking to some of the teams on G uh, on Solana that are launching uh, that have recently launched tokens and done these airdrops and are launching tokens. Um, and I was listening to the zero X research podcast with, uh, with Lucas from Gito. And he was just talking about how hard, like a lot of these founders are just like, it's so hard to prevent Sybil attacks or Sybil, however you pronounce it. Um, and it's really, really hard to prevent the gaming of airdrops there. Why isn't there a company that shouldn't be on the founder to figure out how to build a system to prevent that? Why isn't there a company? There is one. What's it called? I'm, I'm sure you're invested. I've looked at two and I passed, but CK Captcha, 
like you know zk capture zk capture yeah that's the one i looked at that's smart guys name. well hey you know can't get everything right that's true i think i think names it's like a cloud flare for web3 capture service yeah. that verifies challenges on the smart contract level i guess that is how it's done in web2 is you have to do captures and yeah. verifies it look, look we're getting better and better and more sophisticated at like uh, yeah. preventing this, what is for unsuspect like just to level set the conversation what happens in crypto is you can have multiple wallets and so tied to one person and so it's not like you can claim a free pizza in you know your student council by showing up and showing your id here no one's asking for your id so you can have 50 versions and clones of you showing up to get the same pizza so all of a sudden you, you get all the pizza and that's not good um and there have been instances where that has been an issue it has like there's always there's always some uh farmers out there um you hear that picture like that that guy like riding a scooter with like 50 phones in china and he's like clicking all that's basically what you're trying to prevent you're trying to distribute these tokens to as many people as possible not just one but yeah with 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 ai like you can you can i think we've gotten better at understanding bot behavior um and like preventing just them getting a disproportionate share of airdrops. I think what I get more, I've also thought a lot about and discussed this with teams about how do you, how do you think about airdrops? Um, and the programs of airdrops, like Jupiter, for instance, and announced that they were doing one of many airdrop campaigns. Blur has done multiple uh, rounds, right? Uh, not just one. I've Simple things like that, I think like, are, are pretty good right ultimately what you don't want to do is blow your entire load and one like one airdrop and it's like well then up to governance you can distribute but it's like I, I think it's better to have a lot of flexibility um you know and 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 have multiple campaigns because you're going to also get a better sense of retention user behavior you you don't want to be in a position where you you totally gave all the airdrops and then you don't, you don't even have anything and more firepower for marketing and acquisition. Yeah. So I think a lot of companies basically took, there's a lot of examples in crypto of um, baking, uh, basing things off the first time something happened. For example, what I'm talking about here is uh, like out of every NFT collection is like 10,000 PFPs. Why? Because, you know, first big one was basically. Um yeah, or but to tie this together with this conversation, like uh, I think a lot of companies or protocols in crypto, whatever you want to call them, have fixed supply of tokens because Bitcoin's 21 million hard cap. But if you think about how a company should be built, like that fundamentally does not make any sense. You should have more and more shares that get issued as the company grows and needs to do more things with their, with their equity. Um, and so I think like, you know, when I see these chart, these pie charts where it's like 20% to investors, 20% to the team, I'm like, what a stupid, stupid model that we're even focusing on this thing. It's like, you should have, I don't, well, you know. It, 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 I hear your point. Look at static point in time. You have to kind of chart say, this is the distribution of this value. No, I get, what, I get what you yeah. have to do it. Yeah. But, 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 I mean, look, I mean, I went through the exercise of, of, of making the proposal for Yarn to mint an incremental, what was it? 4,000 Wi-Fi because of course they needed to fund the developers right and, and and new you know ongoing development of the protocol and they you know 
they had like, all the Wi-Fi had been fucked. But I agree with you. Um, I think ultimately the 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 response to that is yeah, maybe you fix the supply, you have certain inflation to to because that's what the market like that's just the, I think still good to do. But then say, look, um, I know we're gonna have a discussion tomorrow with with uh, Kyle and and Dimitri. I think on Deepin. I think certain use cases, to your point, gaming, uh, Deepin, require like more thoughtful approach to token emissions and inflation on a dynamic manner based on user activity. Based on like it's very different if you have like if you're a game and you said, oh, we're gonna have ten thousand PFPs. Well, good luck this being a mainstream game, guys. Like. You basically are capping your users to 10,000. That's not going to fly. Okay, maybe you can launch derivative PFPs, which is where most other teams have gone in this direction, right? Like, Asuki's did, like, a clone of the original Asuki's, but that... Yeah, but that, that never... That never <laughs> other, other teams have done it more successfully. So I think, like, yeah, to your point, um, my... You're absolutely right. We've been operating under this assumption in crypto around scarcity driving value. Whereas for gaming, for NFTs, for social, it is a like utility and that is abundant. And so you ha- you want to have, you want to have billions of users, but you want to have like all these different um, collections and maybe tokens. Now, maybe the counter argument to that is even if you have a fixed supply, well, you can divide these units up to like, uh, like companies go through this motion too, right? Once the stock price goes up over a hundred, 200 bucks, they do a, a stock split because unit, bu- unit, buy like unit um what do you call it they're, they're unit bias right oh you can buy forty thousand bitcoin oh you can be a billion a shiba billionaire or a, 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 a bong billionaire psychologically companies even in the public markets have realized this once their stock price go reaches a certain level 100 200 300 psychologically because you can only buy one share it it boxes out so many people so that they do these splits so that the stock is two bucks, five bucks, ten bucks, right? Apple's done this. Like the best companies have done this, right? It's not like only inherent to crypto um, behavior, but um, I, I I guess like you can divide Ethereum and, and Solana and all these different tokens into you know eighteen zeros or basically infinite. Well, I didn't say like near. You know yeah. what I mean? But still, yeah, I don't know. Um. There was a uh, one thing I want to talk about. I watched the layer two video, uh, la- layer zero v. Layer zero. So layer launch is sort of this communication protocol. Full disclosure, I'm an investor. Uh, I think the team's extremely talented. And so launch v two. There's a great video with Primordial, the, the founder Brian. Um, people should go watch that because I think he, he, he like why I think this is relevant is because he talks about like the importance of um, security liveness. He talks about and decoupling that. He talks about the importance of communication. And the core principles of crypto, like immutability, censorship resistance. And I think it was just like a really put together, a, a very good video. Um, even if you don't care about Layer Zero does, I think it's still a good video because it talks about the the kind of the core ethos of, of crypto. Um, so it's really nice. The, the point I wanted to make is a lot of times you can change these things up to governance. So obviously the idea of how many tokens are emitted, like some of these parameters are not immutable. Like, it's not like Bitcoin set in stone, but like you can, in theory, upgrade a lot of these parameters for many protocols. And I go back and forth on that. Um, if, if these are things that can or can't be upgraded at the smart contract level, uh, okay. I think you can make arguments for, for both and certainty of not having it ever be upgraded. 
but uh, I, I think certain features, mm-hmm. maybe like token supply, may if there's a quorum. But I don't know. I'm not. Wait, so la- just to make sure I understand it correctly, layer zeros, the V2 basically upgrades the the, the architecture, um, and the main change is that it decouples the security and the execution. Is that the? Uh, it's really liveness. So like. I'm gonna butcher explaining it. I'd rather not, but I think what, what is li- what is live what does liveness even mean? Well, like like basically like what layer zero allows you to do is like for instance, say you want to swap a token, you're in Ethereum L1, and you want to swap uh, a token in Arbitrum, but you don't have any tokens in Arbitrum, right? Or you don't have any tokens in Base, and you want to go across these chains. What they've done is they would just make that extremely easy, abstract all the complexity. They will swap your your tokens in one chain for that in the other um, and then execute whatever transaction you want to do. And so I think that's uh, that's like, like super important. It can also be for voting and other components. So um, a lot of it is when you think about the communication between chains is, is my appreciation is, well, how quickly that happens with what certainty one chain is more secure than the other. So you have to deal with like, different mechanisms and sense validation like basically one chain is more secure than the other it's just like it is fairly complex thing to do when you think about all that and layer zero is just doing it in a i think it's a big improvement in in what they've done in, in making that just far easier um for people to interact across chains. so that's cool taking a bit of a different approach from like axelar and ccip and wormhole and that's cool yeah is live is liveness basically like What like the ability of a distributed system to process transactions? Like what what is? Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's a good way of putting it. I gotta um, ask our analysts. By the way, we published we just published a report on uh, on layer zero. Uh, on I just saw on our yeah. research platform. Uh, I haven't read. That. So we'll, yeah. we'll link that in the show notes. Today's episode is brought to you by Northstake, the secure and compliant staking platform for institutional investors. Northstake is purpose-built for institutions that want to enable the ability to move in and out of staked ETH seamlessly while controlling all aspects of their fund management. Northstake's tokenized ETH staking service offers institutions easy, low-risk crypto yield opportunities. It complies with both AML and Mika regulations, making it possible for institutions to tap into Ethereum's growth and earn staking rewards even through these pretty turbulent regulatory times in crypto. If you are an institutional investor seeking compliant crypto exposure and yield, Northstake streamlines that all for you. To get started, head over to northstake.dk forward slash tokenized hyphen e hyphen staking. I know you're probably not going to go to that long URL, so just click the link in the description of the episode That'll take you right to Northstake's site. Or if you're on YouTube, scan the QR code on your screen right now. Now, let's get back to the episode. Uh, my prediction for 20... We're going to do a predictions episode next week, which I'm pumped on. But one of my predictions that I've talked about in here before is that Blast... Uh, Blast is fine. But what Blast is going to cause is all these L2s starting to create L2s with yield. And we saw that for the first time this this week with uh, Manta... Is that right? Monta? What is Monta? Uh, well, well, I full disclosure, also an investor, a seed investor way back in the day. So they, uh, their privacy, their whole thing was privacy since day one. It's like, we need better privacy. Ah, I remember these guys. Yeah. 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 IT guys. And, and so they're very focused on 
uh, again, like a privacy chain. So that to me was the most compelling thing. There's, they're still in that direction. They're launching now their L2, um, like a privacy focused L2. And of course they, they dubbed it the new paradigm, uh, you know, and, and so a lot of it is native yield. Is that, is that a jab? Is that a jab at paradigm for uh funding blast? Uh, well, I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence. Um, and they're using, I think the different mechanism that they're doing, and I had a call with Kenny, the founder, not too long ago, two days ago, about like, um, they're using Mountain Protocol, which I think Newcastle, like Nick Fund is an investor in, which is basically, I think we, we talked about this in the pod when he was on, but basically it's a, it's a basically like a, a, a treasury yield bearing stable coin. Uh, and they're using that to capture yield. And the same way that Blast is using Maker and Lido to capture Maker to capture yield from treasuries, Lido to capture yield from native ETH uh, staking. Um, you know, Monta's taken a similar approach by using Mountain uh, on the stablecoin side to capture uh, you know treasury yield. But but yeah, you're right. I mean, I think it's. Uh, once someone does it, then everyone else will do it. If it works, everyone else will do it. And that's the nature of the space. Yeah, and something like Manta is going to be fine, and then someone else has 5% yield, and then someone's got 10% yield, and then someone offers 20% yield, and now we've recreated. It's this cycle's version of Celsius and BlockFi. Uh, no, see, this is where I struggle with that, because I know you're going there. Mike, I saw a tweet from Mike, your co-founder, that he said this, right? He said, this is going to be a problem, because it's ponzanomics and yield go people are going to chase high yield but it's i agree look this happened in DeFi summer new protocols launched they advertised yield in the thousands of apys and then that very quickly compressed for a variety of reasons primarily the token price collapses as like you know sell pressure start as soon as you start farming like there, there's a lot of mercenary capital but it's a very different thing it's not like so if you're a celsius user and you were advertised above average yields on your Bitcoin or ETH, then you're like, okay, great. I'm going to trust Celsius to do whatever it is that they're doing on the back end to give me 2% higher yields or even more. Well, turns what? That was not the right thing because they were taking a lot of risk. They were not doing proper due diligence and underwriting for a lot of their counterparties. The difference between all this happening on chain is that you can see where that money goes. Exactly. Like the counterparty risk is, yeah, you're you're taking, no matter what the yield is, you're taking smart contract risk always. Like, and no one should ever use the term risk-free ever, ever for anything. There's always risk in even treasuries. There may be a benchmark rate, but there's always risk. Whether you want to see it or understand it, that's your problem. Um, So... There's always going to be a risk of interacting with any contract, whether it has yield or not. Yield is an incentive. Whether you understand where the yield comes comes from is a different thing. But safe to say is that the higher the yield, the higher the risk and dependencies and interactions of a smart contract. So I don't think it's a, an issue, actually. Now, they, they Manda or Blast or Protocol XYZ may offer points and they may say, that their token's worth a billion and a gazillion FTV. Well, we all know what happens, right? Uh, yields compress very quickly. And capital is very mercenary. 
the other thing that you have now is you have this sort of like natural rebalancing of you have ETH staking, which is the benchmark rate. Think about like that as buying treasuries on chain, right? I'll, I'll say it is kind of like if you hold ETH, staking it and whatever yield you get, that's like the benchmark rate. So, so say you're earning 4% staking your ETH. And then all of a sudden that goes, um, you know, that goes a lot of, a lot of ETH st people staking ETH say, oh, wait a minute, I can earn five times more with this other protocol. Let me unstake and go there. Well, what happens, right? Um, they're going to chase that yield by virtue of more demand. That yield goes down and the, and the, and the, and the ETH yield goes up. So what does that do? That's a natural rebalancing, right? Some people say, oh, well, yield is now like 10% here and ETH went up to six. Well, 4% incremental is not worth the risk. I'm going to go back. And so there's a natural like- Yeah, like DeFi summer where you'd, 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 you'd run into a pool, the pool yield would go down, you'd chase into another one, it would rebalance. The nice thing here though is that you have like this kind of nate, that you have this benchmark, which is going back to like the base asset, like Ethereum, right? Or Solana to stake it. And so just changes the dynamic a bit on the margin. So capital should be more efficient. Because before it was like, if you held ETH, you could deposit an Aave or Compound and clip like whatever you yield. When there was like a lot of degen uh, leverage on chain, you could be earning a, a pretty penny on, on the borrowed assets that were in high demand. Um, but now you can just do it without, without even interacting with a money market and taking that risk of that protocol and current bad debt, you're like depositing your money in a bank here, you're just keeping your money by staking it. And so anyways, I don't think, I don't think it's, I think it's an unfair characterization is what I'm trying to say. If you say it's going to, it's a same, it's no different than Celsius. And yeah, I don't think this is no different than Celsius. I think what this causes is people launching products that are basically marketing what will eventually be yield that is not real yield. They're, you know, like today, today, like blast, like blast is great. Like, or I don't know if it's great or not, but blast puts your money in what Lido and maker treasuries. That's totally fine. But then some L2 is going to come along and put it in a, you know, something riskier. And then someone's going to basically take your capital and do like a hedge yeah. fund like strategy with it. How, so. How's that any different from you putting your money in the bank, by the way? Do you know where that money's being invested? I mean, no, 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 obviously, obviously you have no idea, but with like, Bank of America and JP Morgan at that. Yeah. And that's what caused things like Celsius to blow up. No, no. That's what caused Lehman Brothers and the entire fucking financial system to blow up. Yeah. These things happen. They're not in here crypto, but my biggest point, and I'll say time and time again is whenever people are critical of some like Avi and Maker and DeFi, I'm like, at least you know where that money's going. And then you have full transparency into that process. Whether you want to look, that's your problem. And that's on mm. you. It's always on you. You always bear the responsibility. It's at the end of the day, your money. But that's, it's your money when you deposit in these protocols. It's not your money. It's not your money when you deposit in a bank. There's a very big difference. And trying to regulate. The all right. All right. That's a good, that's a good pushback. That's good. Like that. that if, if I were to end yeah. this discussion, all time, I always bring it back to that. In DeFi, you're the bank. You control where that money goes and what these smart contracts can do with that. Sometimes you can approve certain things that these smart contracts can be just like a bank. 
they can move your money around. They can do these strategies. You have to understand that. But you have at least, you always, always, always have transparency of where that money is flowing and going in real time. 24-7, 365, always. You can inspect and look and revoke access and bring it back. Can't do that in your bank. That's why people have 20 bank accounts for putting money in treasury. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, that's, I mean like, that's why that's why DeFi works. I mean, that yeah. I'd rather put money into smart contracts. Yeah. That was a preview of the predictions episode, which is going to be a little spicy next week, it seems like. <laughs> DeFi and gaming are back. Well, back. we're also going to, uh, hopefully we spend some time looking at how dumb, dumb uh, some predictions were. Because I always like to go back. I have a, I have a price I have a price question for you. So, oh, here we go. um, do you think there's any money to be made on like buying like Aave and Uni and these kind of like OG DeFi things, or that that's a that's a fool's game? I tweeted about this too, and I keep saying this because that's what I do for a living now. I should post. Um. Santa, you're basically an influencer now. How do you feel about that? Oh, you're, really? you're a content, you're a content <laughs> creator. <laughs> God. I don't know what I am, sir, to be honest. Um, but I think you... Do fundamentals matter? It's okay. Not yet. Uh, Some... Avi makes more fees in a day than Solana. But it's not, it's valued at, you know, 135th. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's the right way to look at these things? I think, I think one way certainly is to look at profitability. Synthetics um, is having its moment because it can't, you know, uh, it stopped inflation and, you know, it's getting a lot of on chain like activity through Quenta and all these other products, Lyra and the whole ecosystem of apps. You know, perp activity, they're making a million bucks. Like this week alone in up and down environments, basically. You look at that and you say, well, that's pretty compelling. And then you look at, okay, what's the supply? What do I like? If if basically a protocol has got to earn more fees in a year than the entire fully diluted market cap, well, I would argue that's a disconnect in value, right? You, <laughs> what happens when these buybacks happen? People look at Rollbit like it's trading at a decent discount there's there's robots i think is priced the way it is because it's fundamentally quite risky on, on um because you don't know it's non-founders <laughs> but like these protocols like i mean makers then you can look at the buybacks on chain and you could think about it so my argument is over the last two years if you look at eth DeFi to eth charts <laughs> they've been terrible like absolute dog shit are they due for a rebound i think they're arguments to be made that DeFi is 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 back it's working it always has worked you look at also the stress test that we had early this week uh you know when the, there's like a drawdown a down 5 20 30 like percent day um 20 percent 10 20 depending on the tokens but like solana DeFi was was stress tested and that was uh very good to see um and DeFi just continues to work and so it's always a relative game. I think people also understand and like better infrastructure investments like L1s, like very generalized, like 
look at Cardano, the less you ship, the more it spurs people's imaginations of what can be. <laughs> yeah, look at look at NFTs with utility. It's like the more the more you yeah. attach utility to an NFT, the more that someone can put a value on it, which drives the price down. Yeah, I mean, maybe the more intellectual question, fun question is the top 10. How's that going to change over the next year? Because I've always been wrong about that consistently been wrong of what i think the top 10 should look like yeah and what xrp is number five cardano is number eight yeah, yeah doge yeah. dogecoin is top 10 right now dogecoin dude, is the top dude, like, and and by the way is... it will stay there this whole cycle yeah, yeah. it'll grow i mean look at the look at actually the more interesting is 11 through 20 polka dot tron chain link polygon ton coin which i think is telegrams maybe shiba you know litecoin is still top 20 yeah, like exactly. I mean, but like uh, you can make the argument Tron is actually fundamentally like whether you like Justin or not, putting that aside, like like stablecoin. It's actually like the Tron stablecoin is like probably one, is like the most widely popular in, in places. Oh like yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like so that's a tether on Tron is. I mean, also IMX is yeah. going parabolic since our your podcast with uh, Robbie. It's crazy. I mean, to say that it was because of my podcast is is a unfair character not even, but. Causation, causation, full causation. Yes, yeah. <laughs> zero causation. Causation. But gaming and DeFi, probably two areas that I I think are 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 being underappreciated, for sure. But yeah, my top ten percent have always been wrong and probably will continue to be wrong. So a part of my brain is entertaining. Well, if it's going to be wrong, then counter trade that, and then do what a lizard brain or take the left curve approach. I'll leave you with this, I think, and you and I were talking about this before uh, starting this episode. Again, going back to Xiao, he's a great thinker. He's not afraid of being called out and being controversial. Not because he wants to be controversial, because I think he says things that a lot of people may think but are not are, are too afraid to say publicly. And I think he has a great post. And uh, we'll end it there. Not a video or a uh, podcast, not a video or another podcast recommendation, but I will encourage people to go and read Xiao's post on, 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 on TGENs, right? Forget the name of it, but we'll link it. I think it's a a very uh, honest, like expose. I don't maybe not expose. You know, it was a ca- it was a counter post to uh, I think Ollie at uh, Andreessen posted something, being like, "What are we all doing here? If we're all just degenning?" And Chow's like, "You're missing the point, my friend." All right, let's call it a day. Yeah, absolutely, sir. Hey, anyways, great great chatting. Um, we'll we'll be there's an interesting lineup right of new pots just to, to we have uh we have empire coming out next week we have uh we have avalanche coming out next week well, <laughs> we got empire Av- we got avalanche coming out next week uh we are recording a really interesting debate tomorrow with uh dimitri who used to be at 1kx or okay fund okay yeah one, uh, 1kx uh and then uh kyle samani from multicoin kyle is taking the pro deep in corner and uh dimitri is taking the anti deep in corner uh, we'll release that soon as well. So a lot of good pods. Yeah, and I'm recording one with the founder of Modulus um, and Casey, who was at Google and studied AI before it was cool. Um, and one of the best investors in this space, I think, uh, on AI and crypto and kind of parsing through the narratives and the and uh, So yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff. We, we try to be relevant to things that we care about and I think are important in, in the limelight. Uh, so if you want to hear anything in particular, let us know. And if we're getting everything wrong, also let us know. We read the comments. <laughs> what do you think is more, uh, what do you think is more of like a neg? 
influencer or content creator? What should I call you? God, I think content creator is like a soft <laughs> influencer. I'd rather just rip the bandaid off, you know, and be like, become <laughs> yeah. the Lord Jesus all accepted. Um, but content creator just feels like you're kind of like a, you're still an influencer, but you're shitting, you haven't made it. <laughs> Yeah, you haven't made it yet. You're you're creating content but not getting paid for it. <laughs> I was like, this what is worth? I like this ain't making living clips, but I do it because it's fun. And uh, so, uh, cool. you can call me whatever you want, man. Oh, by the way, okay, next episode I will look very different, and I will do something that you haven't been, you haven't, you haven't actually lived up to. That shave your beard. I don't know. We'll leave it at that. That is really? the perfect place to. This is the perfect place to end. Why are you doing? Because I haven't done it in ten years. Nice. And nice. we're entering a new paradigm of because <laughs> the Fed pivoted. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap, my friend. Go enjoy your poker right. games. Go enjoy uh, Kane and the crew out there, and I will. Uh, I'll see you next week. All right, man. Great, as always. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next week. Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching today's episode. Really hope you enjoyed it. We wanted to take a second to just remind you about our upcoming Digital Assets Summit in London, March 18th to 20th. Santi and I got your back. Seats are limited and we hooked you up with a 20% off discount code. It is Empire20. If you heard it earlier in the podcast, there's a little competition running at Blockworks to see who can drive the most number of tickets. So when you register for the Digital Assets Summit, make sure you use our code Empire20. See you in London.